Baptist Church, Charlotte. Tonight, if you have your Bibles, I want to jump into our study taken from Mark. Mark chapter number 16. Mark 16 um, mirrors, Mark 16 mirrors... Um, Matthew 28 in, in terms of subject matter that we study. So if you go to Mark chapter number 16 um, in the New Testament, reading uh, beginning from verse, um, uh, let me start at verse 13. Mark 16 verse 13. Um, now when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I, the son of man, am? Who do they say that I am? And they said, some say maybe you're John the Baptist or reincarnation of John the Baptist. Others say Elijah and others Jeremiah. Or maybe one of the prophets, verse 15, Jesus said to them, but who do you say? that I am. Of course, my favorite Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. I want you to hear that with first century ears. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. That means something and it meant a lot to the sight to the disciples and which I will share with you tonight more than it means to us tonight. Um, and that's what I want to share with you. And my subject is Christ is not his last name. Christ is not Jesus's last name. You've heard me say that in passing before, but I, I felt like I needed to do a Bible study on it so that we can get when, when someone say Christ in that time, what did it mean? And, and, and why was it so important for them to understand that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God? So let me begin. When you hear the word Jesus and Christ put together like that, do you realize that Christ is not his last name? That's my topic. Uh, Christ is the English form of the Greek word Christos and is a direct translation of the Hebrew word in which we get an English pronunciation of the word Messiah. So Christ and Messiah are synonyms. They're synonymous words. Also is another synonym is the anointed one. All three of these words are used interchangeably in the New Testament. Uh, what this means is that both Christ and Messiah and anointed one uh, refers to Jesus, the, the prophesied chosen one who uh, the Bible is very clear that God would come, God would send to deliver his people. And so whenever the Jews talked about the Messiah, the one that God had promised to send, in fact, they would always say the word Messiah. So, for example, when Jesus asked his disciples, what about you? Who do you all say that I am? And when Peter jumped up and said, well, you are Messiah. You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. 
that meant something to the disciples because they now can reflect back to the prophecies, uh, most notably of David in the Psalms. Uh, Pastor preached last week about David also was anointed as a prophet. Remember, he was anointed three times, right? He was anointed as king, he was anointed as priest, and he was also anointed as a prophet. So David spoke of, of this prophet that would come to deliver God's people. And of course, the Jews, uh, being who they are, the chosen people, if you will, let's call it that. Um, and I'll explain all of that at some point. I'll do a, I'll do a Bible study on, on why that is important. Um, they felt as if that Jesus would come to physically deliver them from Roman bondage. So, if, if Christ is not his last name, what is it exactly? What does it mean? Well, as it turns out, as I've hinted at, it's a description of a title which tells us who Jesus really is. And for us to understand what that means, it's very important because it, it, it can make a lot of difference in our lives if we truly understand, right? If we, if we internalize it a certain way, it could really make a difference in terms of how we we perceive the Lord Jesus. The Bible speaks of the anointed one or the Messiah in several prophecies, and some of them I'll read for you tonight. Now, many people were anointed in the Bible. The word anoint in the Greek, chiro, is a verb which uh, we get the word Christos or Christ from. The direct meaning is the anointed one. This, of course, uh, occurs several times in both Old and New Testaments, and they all point directly and specifically to Jesus. Luke 4 and 18 tells us this. Jesus is quoting one of the prophets, Isaiah in particular, when he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. This is part of the role of the Messiah. So when the Jews read that in the Old Testament format, when they read that in the Isaiah's prophecy, they now went, oh, well, we're going to be completely delivered. So when Messiah comes, when Messiah comes, we will be we will be able to shake off Roman rule. And they looked forward to that. In fact, they looked forward to it quite enthusiastically. You may remember you may remember in Acts chapter four when the apostles are praying for boldness so that they can go out and share the word. In verse 23 of Acts 4, um, let me just read it. And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they had heard, they heard, they raised their voice to God, and with one accord, they said, quote, Lord, you are God. You made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them. 
who by the mouth of your servant David have said, watch this, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord, against his Christ, the anointed one. Verse 27, for truly against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatsoever your, your hand and your purpose determined before that would be done. Next scripture, Acts chapter number 10. This is, should be familiar to you. Verse 36, the word which, this is, this is Peter now who had, was summoned by Cornelius and has arrived at Cornelius' house and he's preaching to Cornelius' family. The Holy Ghost fell on them, you may recall. So this is part of uh, Peter's preaching in Cornelius' house. Verse 36, the word which God sent to the children of Israel preaching peace through Jesus Christ. Remember, he is Lord of all. Verse 37, that word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea, and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil because God was with him. So God anointed Jesus to do what he was doing. Next verse, Hebrews 1 verse 9. The writer of the book of Hebrews, I always say the writer of the book of Hebrews because I, we don't know who wrote it. Um, lots of people said it was Paul because there are parts of it that looks like Paul's style of writing, but truly we don't know. Others have said, theologians have said that it may have been Apollos or maybe Barnabas, but we don't know. So it says in verse 9, Hebrews 1, 9, you have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you, referring to Jesus, with the oil of gladness more than your companions. I love that. More than your companions. And that clarification gives us an indication that God was, Jesus was head and above everybody else in his creation. And so uh, when you read other parts of the New Testament, the Bible confirms that he was made a little lower than the angels, but higher than all of us in terms of his fashion. The noun chrisma describes the anointing of the Holy Spirit, which by the way, all of us who would receive the Holy Ghost will in fact uh, receive this anointing, receive the same anointing. And Paul write in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, watch this, for by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greek, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into this one spirit. So the same spirit, the Bible says, that anointed Jesus Christ, it is the same spirit that we receive when we get the Holy Ghost. Goodness, goodness. Somebody should say hallelujah. Because I think that is just 
Oh my, think about that, right? In another place, the Bible says, if the spirit of him that raised Christ from the dead dwell in you, y'all remember this? He that raised up Jesus from the dead shall also give life, shall also quicken your mortal bodies, right? So it's the same anointing that fell on Jesus Christ that we get when we receive the Holy Spirit. And so the, these, these, these works of wonder that Jesus did, the, the miracles, the, the, in fact, Isaiah 53 talks about uh, that, that when he bore our sins, you know, you remember that verse, that, that, that scripture, let me read that for you. Who has believed our report? And to whom, Isaiah wrote, to whom the arm of the Lord has been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, speaking of Jesus, he grew up as a baby, right? And as a root out of dry ground, he, he has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. So, so that, that leads me to believe that Jesus was just plain. He was just a plain looking man, right? Verse three, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Verse four, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We, we have turned every one of us to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity. This is it right here. This is, this is him bearing all of our sins. The Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearer is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? He was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people, he was stricken and they made his grave with the wicked. They made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he was buried in a rich man's tomb, right? But with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Watch this. Yet it pleased God to bruise him. I put him to grief when you make his soul an offering for sin and he shall see his seed and he shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Verse 11, he shall see the travail of his soul or the labor of his soul and will be satisfied. In other words, when Jesus looked back on us, he will say Calvary was worth it. He will say, Calvary was worth it. I died so that you all could live. So the Bible puts it this way. You shall see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, 
my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their sins, their iniquities. And therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bore the sin of many, so that he could make intercessions for the transgressors. The, the, the anointing of Jesus allowed him to go through all of this without complaining. And with all these scriptures, you see both prophecy coming from, uh, from the Old Testament and references to the Messiah and the New Testament writings uh, by the New Testament apostles who were eyewitnesses of his miracles, all of which testifies to the special anointing that was upon him. Now, if you continue to read the Bible, there were three types of anointings that people got, right? We, we referred to them briefly earlier. In the Old Testament times, prophets, priests, and kings were anointed with oil so that they could be set apart for those positions of responsibility. And oh, by the way, when you got anointed in the Old Testament, you stunk, you reeked. If you read, if you read in the New, in the Old Testament on the creation of the apothecary of the anointing oil, it was a very pungent odor, very strong. And so, when you got anointed, everybody knew. <laughs> Hallelujah! <laughs> when you got anointed, everyone knew. And so, when you did the works of God, it wasn't done in a closet. Come on, somebody. It was a sign that God had chosen this person for the work that he has given them to do. Uh, when Andrew, uh, the disciple of John the Baptist, met Jesus for the first time, the first thing he did was to find his brother, Simon Peter. You remember? To tell him this exciting news that he had discovered the anointed one. He, he told his brother, he said, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought Peter to meet Jesus. John chapter number one, verses four, verse 41. Uh, what did Andrew mean when he said, we have found the Messiah? When Jesus came to earth to live with us, to be our savior, the Jewish people were looking for God to send a, a general. The Messiah was going to be a, a general similar to the Roman generals to physically deliver them from bondage. However, they misunderstood what the Messiah would do. The Jewish people and their leaders misunderstood that the Messiah's role would be more spiritual than political. And what he would do was a spiritual act, not a physical act. Now, they had read the Old Testament prophecies. You can too, Isaiah 42, Chapter number one, Isaiah 61, verses one through three, Psalm 16, Psalm 22, Daniel chapter number nine, etc., etc. All of these spoke of Messiah to come and what he would do. Promised that God would send a deliverer, a deliverer to save his people. So, so I kind of understood how they misunderstood that. Because their immediate need, right, they thought, was physical uh, deliverance from Roman rule. 
they, they read the prophecies of how Messiah would overcome God's enemies. And they understood this to mean that he would physically deliver them from their Roman masters. They expected him to set up a kingdom here on earth, a kingdom in which they would be rulers and not be ruled. Uh, the great error, of course, was that they overlooked that the Messiah's uh, role was largely spiritual and that he would deliver our souls from sin and Satan. They didn't understand that his kingdom was not of this world. <laughs> as a result, few of them were prepared to accept Jesus as the promised Messiah. He didn't fit their idea of what the Messiah would do. In fact, today, in this time period that we're in, the Orthodox Jewish community still do not accept Jesus as Messiah. There is a small, a small percentage of Jews, we call them Messianic Jews, uh, who have accepted the Messiah, Jesus as the Messiah, as the anointed one, the one would come to deliver them by spirit, not by the sword. And so, uh, because he didn't fit their mold of what the anointed one would do would uh, would be, they rejected him. However, as I mentioned, a small portion some from some of them did recognize Jesus as the Messiah. And so, John wrote this in chapter twenty of his book, verse thirty to thirty-one. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing on him, you may have life in his name. And the Gospels repeatedly declare that Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one, the one chosen by God and anointed by him to save his people from their sins. You could read this in Matthew 16, verse 16, Luke 4, verse 17 to 21, uh, John 1, verse 40 through 49, John 4, 25 and 26. I, I want to give you these verses so that you could review them in your own time. Now, after Jesus' resurrection, the apostle Peter proclaimed how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. Uh, and we are witnesses of all these things, which he did, Acts chapter number 10, verse 38 and 39. This was also at Cornelius' house. And of course, Jesus himself claimed to be the promised Messiah. Uh, when he talked, if you remember the story of the woman, the woman at the well, the woman in Samaria, after, after the Lord told her all about her business, uh, she said, I know that Messiah is coming, who's called Christ. When he comes, he's going to tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you, am he. Could you imagine her face? So, so the question then becomes, what about us today? What do people expect the promised Messiah, Jesus, to do, to be in their lives? I, I found a couple of reflections, illustrations that I'd like to read to you. Kevin DeYoung in his Restless and Reformed blog, he writes, 
about Jesus. He says, this is what people are saying about Jesus. There's there are several versions of Jesus. First of all, there is a conservative Jesus who's against tax increases and, and activist judges for family values and, and for owning firearms. That's one kind of Jesus. Then there's the liberal Jesus who is against Wall Street and Walmart uh, and for reducing carbon footprint and for printing more money. <laughs> this is get to be political, right? Then there's the therapist Jesus who helps us cope with life's problems and heals our past, tells us how valuable we are and not to be so hard on ourselves. Then there's the open-minded Jesus who loves everybody all the time, no matter what, except for the people who are not as open-minded as they are. Then there's the martyr Jesus, good man who died a cruel death so that we can feel sorry for him. And then there's the gentle Jesus who was meek and mild with flowing hair and walks around barefoot, right? Uh, then there's the hippie Jesus who teaches everyone to give peace a chance and help us remember that all you need is love. Then there's the revolutionary Jesus who teaches us to rebel against the status quo, stick it to the man and blame things on the system. Then there's the guru Jesus, a wise inspirational leader who believes uh, in you and helps you find your center. And then there's the good example, Jesus, who shows you how to help people change the planet and become better. But, he ends it with this, and I'm glad that he did because some of what he's saying here is just funny contextually. But, but then he says, then there's Jesus, who is Christ, the anointed one, Messiah, the son of the living God. This Christ is not a reflection of the current mood or the projection of our own desires as we go through society. He is our Lord and our God. He is our creator. He is the father, the son, the savior of the world and substitute for our sins. He's more loving, more holy, and more wonderful and terrifying than we ever thought possible. If you read Philippians 2, 9, it says here, Therefore God highly exalted him and gave him a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The, the Bible is clear. That, that sooner or later, whether you believe in him or not, every knee will bow to Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the one sent by God to deliver us from sin. But right now, there are many who reject that idea. There are many who rebel against the idea that Jesus Christ deserves that kind of honor. And so they reject they rebel against Jesus. And this is something that I want you all to think about. When we say Jesus, and I get an opportunity, thank God, to publicly, when I, whenever I baptize people, you may notice that I publicly de declare that I'm baptizing them in the name of Jesus, who is Christ.
right? Uh, as a matter of policy, whenever I do that, um, I want to emphasize that when I, when I perform weddings, I do the same thing. I make it a point to emphasize the name of our Lord Jesus because Jesus said that whatsoever we do in word or deed, do all in the name of Jesus. He goes on to say that all the families of the world are named by that name and everything in heaven is named under that name. So as silly as it seems, I believe that each of us should internalize this notion of maybe maybe call it an affirmation and say, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. He's my savior and my Lord, and I accept him for what he has done on my behalf. If you, if you say that to yourself, I think eventually you'll get... It'll, it'll, it'll become more real to you. It'll go deeper into your soul to understand that what Jesus did was, was a big deal. A big deal. So what does it mean that Jesus is my Lord, my Savior, my Creator, my Deliverer, my Friend, my King? Well, it means that we intend to do things His way. And this is what being a Christian is all about. If you love me, keep my commandments. It, it means that you intend to follow his words, his teachings, and not just the letter of the law, the spirit of the law as well. So if Jesus is your Lord, it means that you've surrendered your life to him, that you intend to seek ways to, to serve him, Notice I said, seek ways to serve him because in your particular domain, in your community, with your friends, I guarantee you that there are ways that you could serve God that I wouldn't be able to. So you need to seek ways to serve him, that you will talk about him because you love him with your friends. And they will feel that. They will feel that. That's what we call witnessing. They will feel that love that you have for Jesus and it will attract them to him because of your love. And then you will avoid embarrassing him with your words and your actions. You stay away from those things that are not Christ-like. I mean, when I was growing up in church, they used to say, shun the very appearance of evil. Come on, somebody. Right. They, they say you should walk away from those things that even look funny. Let not your good be evil spoken of. Am I preaching to somebody tonight? Amen, brother. You, 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 you do those things that would be a, a positive reflection when someone says, hey, that's Brother Don. He goes to first church, you know, and, and they, they, they will come to expect goodly and godly things from you because of how you behave, how you carry yourself, the things you say. You don't behave like everybody else. You are a, a positive reflection of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a child of God. So your actions, your words, your attitudes uh, will, 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 will love others, will, will force others into loving, not force. It will cause others to love the Lord. Uh, and it will cause you to love even your enemies. 
because the spirit of God will be stirred up in your heart. And that's what where God's heart is. You know, love your enemies, he said. Now, you could probably come up with a few extra items to add to the list that I've just given you. Right? What you expect a Christian to do, to honor, to obey their Lord. But the fact is that Jesus is our Lord goes beyond what we should do for him. I want you to hear me. It goes to the heart of what he has done for us, what he has offered us. This anointing that we talked about earlier, Jesus said in Matthew 20, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life a ransom for many. In other words, a good Lord protects and provides for his people. And even though they missed it when he first came, his gift to us was still valuable. And we are beneficiaries. This is why Jesus continually throughout the New Testament said things like this. Come unto me, all who are labor and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Matthew 11, 28. He said things like, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the good things will be added to you. Matthew 6, 33. He said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it will be opened to you for everyone that asks receives and he that seeks will find and to them who knock shall be open to you. Luke 11, 9. He said, I come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. He said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. John 10, 10. And he goes on to say, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house, there are many rooms. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. That John 14, 1 to 3. By the way, I'll expand upon this a little bit more later. Um, this notion of uh, I go to prepare a place for you is uh, mirroring the traditional Jewish wedding where uh, the husband-to-be, after he has espoused, engaged uh, the, the woman, usually the girl, he goes and he prepares the house for them. Then he comes back and takes her from her family's home and take her back to his home. This is the practice of the betrothal and the marriage. Right. So I want you to keep that in mind. You know what? I, I, I think it'd probably be good to do a study of the traditions of the Jewish wedding so that you could see that what Jesus is 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 working out in the scripture to us is his engagement to us. The Holy Spirit that he gave you is 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 the deposit. It's the deposit. It's the engagement for the future wedding feast that he talked about right and then he's gonna come back and take us back to his home come on somebody somebody should get excited because i think that's going to be uh when we when we get to this place of glory that he has prepared where he said eyes have not seen uh, neither have ears heard 
the things that God hath prepared for them. Right? We 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 have no no concept. If if speaking the world into being uh, has created such beauty that we can observe, what what do you think it will look like when he has taken the time to prepare something for us? Right? And so I I know I'm excited to to be with the Lord. I'm not so much concerned about mansions and streets of gold. Uh, in fact, I think those are metaphors, really. I don't think there are any gold streets in, in heaven, personally. Uh, I, I do think there are metaphors that the Lord used to, to refer to things that we know to let us know how glorious it's going to be there. Okay? So, Jesus came to all and he came to do all of that and more uh, for you and for me. But there's a catch. In order to receive those blessings, we, we have to accept his marriage proposal. We, we need to agree to become a part of his family. So you have to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, Hebrews eleven six. You have to repent of your sins. That is, turn around in your mind if you're currently engaging in behavior that you know is, is not pleasing to God. You need to turn around from that. Ask for forgiveness of your sins and surrender yourself so Jesus' blood can cleanse you. Acts chapter number 2. Romans 10 and 9 says you have to proclaim or confess with your mouth. And then you have to be baptized in water, in Jesus' name, by immersion, so that you, you are practicing that which he has told you to practice. When you are buried with him, Romans, you shall also be raised with him when you receive the Holy Ghost. Several passages in Acts chapter number 2, Acts chapter number 9, Acts chapter number 10, Acts chapter number 22, all explains this process. I was teaching a Bible study this week to a group of realtors, and they got on to the, the, the topic of baptism. And many of them were baptized as children, because many of them are Catholics. And so we got on to talking about why there is a need for them to affirm, choose baptism. In the name of Jesus Christ, and we got talking about this, and and they their eyes were opened up. Many of them were convicted and said, "Maybe I need to be baptized again." And I showed them in Acts chapter number nineteen, where um, Paul, you know, discovered some of John's disciples in, in in Ephesus and and asked them, "Have you all received the Holy Ghost?" just like we did. And they were like, we, we haven't even heard about the Holy Ghost. Read, read Acts chapter number 19. And Paul says, then, 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 then how were you baptized? Unto what then were you baptized? And they said, well, John was baptizing unto repentance, so we did that. And then Paul said, okay, I got you. Then you need to go further. And the Bible tells us that Paul tells them, that you need to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Read it for yourself. Acts chapter number 19. And then the Lord promised you that he will give you the Holy Spirit so that you can live for God. 
live a life that's pleasing to him. Because as I told you, without God, you can't live for God. You'd be a good moral person, but you can't really live for God without God. But with the Holy Spirit, you can live for the Lord because it is God that's in you. The Bible says Christ in you, watch that. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's what the Holy Ghost is, Christ in you the hope of glory. That's why the Bible says that God was in Christ reconciling the word unto himself. Listen to that. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. So it is that Christ in you that you want to pursue. And Jesus is saying, I'm here, man. I'm knocking at your door in Revelation 3. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens, I'll come in and I will sup with that person and they will eat with me. So I'm asking you, many of you are already committed Christians, but if you are here in under the sound of my voice, I'll ask you, is the Lord knocking at your heart door? He wants to come in and hang out with you show you the way to himself if you would simply follow his his lead believe in him first of all repent of your sins be baptized in water by immersion in the name of the lord jesus christ and the lord promises that if you do that sooner or later with stammering lips and another tongue he will fill you with the holy spirit so that you can live a life that's pleasing to him. Amen. Amen. I invite you to pursue the Lord Jesus Christ so that you can feel that there's more. There's more to your walk with God than just coming to church. That there's a work for you to do. There's a work for you to do. If you were uh, at our church on last Saturday, and you saw the crowd of people that came in to our health fair with the, the uh, AMPA uh, physicians. You, you know that there's a work to be done in Charlotte. That there are people on your job that need to ask you one day. So tell me about this God you serve. Why, why are you a Christian? Oh my God, that is a delightful, a delightful, I wish somebody would ask me that today. Why are you a Christian? Then you can get an opportunity to share what the Lord Jesus Christ has done on your behalf. Christ in you. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us.